Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see so many faces back in the church, and I welcome everyone up there as well, and uh, it's so nice to see uh, some of the faces that I haven't seen for a while, and, and it's, it's such a joy. I really thank the Lord for the opportunity that God has given us to be able to gather together here. Those who are here for the first time, I just want to welcome you, and I'm glad that you chose to come and worship with us this morning. And as you know that we have been on a journey through the Gospel of John. So you have come to the third chapter, and I'm going to encourage all of you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now chapter 2 begins with the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. And then as you read through, we see that Apostle John speaks of the cleansing of the temple, and that's what we looked at last Sunday. Today we are going to look at a dialogue, a dialogue that took place between a man named Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order for us to understand this conversation, we have to go back to chapter 2. Now following the turning of water into wine, the narrator Apostle, Apostle John says this. He says in verse number 11, chapter 2, the beginning of signs, not that word, signs, beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed, is a key word to, to take as well, in him. So church, listen, these signs in the New Testament are miracles that bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God the one who was sent by God so the world may be saved. So as we read further in chapter 2, in the latter part, we see that in the verses 23 to 25, that some people see Jesus' signs and believed in him. And some did not, and they asked for more signs. In the chapter 2, we see this. But the Lord knew who was who. Let's look at verse 23. Now when, Jesus, now when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many, what's the next word? Believed in his name. How did they believe? When they saw the signs which he did. It's an important factor for us to take that when they saw the signs, they believed in Jesus. But interestingly, I wanted to pay attention to the next verse. What was Jesus' response? Look at this. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he, what? Knew all men. Jesus knew all men. 
and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So what do we take from this church? Many believed in Jesus as they saw the signs or miracles that he was doing, but Jesus didn't believe in them. That's what they're taking. It's a scary statement that we are looking at here because Jesus could see the true condition of their hearts. True condition of the hearts of the people. Today we see many conversions taking place in the so-called miracle crusades. Don't we? Many openly confessing, but the question is, is it an emotional response or truly a spiritual conviction? We may not know it, we, we ourselves, but Jesus does. Jesus does. The Lord knows the truth, for He alone can see the true condition of our, meaning man's, heart. As I said earlier, church, these verses serve an, as an introduction to the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Because John connects these stories by using the word man. Now look at verse number 1 on chapter 3. There was who? A man. A man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now remember, there were no chapter breaks in the original text. There were no chapter breaks in the original, original text. So see chapter 2 now. I want you to follow this, otherwise you won't get it. In chapter 2, as we looked at earlier, Jesus knew all men. Then he adds, he had no need that anyone should testify of man... For he knew what was in man. Do you get it? In chapter 2, that's how it concludes. And then chapter 3, Apostle John starts right, there was a man of the Pharisees. There was a man of the Pharisees. So as Nicodemus walked to the Lord, as he came to the Lord, he might be looking very holy and pious, but Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus's heart. He knew this man. And Nicodemus came and he asked this question. Look at this. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, sorry, do these signs that you do unless God is with them, with them. There's also a connection between the people who observed Jesus' sign and believed, that we looked at earlier, and Nicodemus' opening statement to Jesus, he says, no one can do these things or these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what are we seeing, church? We are seeing an element of faith in Nicodemus, don't we? When he comes to Jesus. At once, Jesus could see beneath Nicodemus's religious veneer. He can see through. He knew that Nicodemus' religion would not save him, that he needed new birth. So the encounter teaches us that religion can't save you or I, because to enter God's eternal kingdom, we need the new birth by the Holy Spirit. 
So let us now dive into the text, going back to verse number 1 of chapter 3. There was a man by, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So John begins by telling us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he adds that he was a ruler of the Jews. That's what Nicodemus, uh, John is saying here. This means that he belonged, Nicodemus belonged to the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Jerusalem that consisted of 71 members of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, of course, the Sadducees were almost all from the aristocracy and were more political than religious. They held some heretical religious beliefs, and we are not going to go into that today. But who are the Pharisees? Now, they, are, they were an elite group of students of the Old Testament. I wanted to get this very clearly so you can understand who this Nicodemus is. These Pharisees observed the law as well as all the rabbinic traditions that grew up around the law meticulously. They were the most devoted of all Jews, these Pharisees, to the Old Testament and every bit of their Jewish tradition. They were concerned about following the Jewish law and they had separated themselves from the others. These are the Pharisees. So Nicodemus was apparently a leading Pharisee because Jesus calls him, later on we can see, that the teacher of Israel. So he's not only a normal Pharisee, he must be a leading Pharisee. He must have been a recognized religious authority. So let us do some self-check here, church. Knowing who Nicodemus is, I'm sure there are many Nicodemuses amongst us. You'll be surprised. We can have a form of godliness, but God may not be necessarily in us. It all depends on what really drives us. Is it money? Is it status? Or is it being religious? Because church, if you look at this man, he had many things going for him. Nicodemus was a rich man. The tradition tells us that Nicodemus was one of the three richest men in Jerusalem at that time. He had more money than what he wanted. What we have does not change what we are. We might have plenty of money in this world today. We may be owning mansions. It means nothing in the kingdom of God. It means nothing in the kingdom of God. If you are driving for money as the motivator in this life, you are a Nicodemus. Secondly, Nicodemus was a respectable man. When he walked down the street, people knew who he was. And they, the tradition says that people even pointed him to their children. Such a respectable man. He was held at great esteem by all who knew him and saw him because he was the ruler of Israel. Some of us crave for social status. We want to be recognized in the community. What matters most to us is how others look at us. I want to be somebody in the society. If that is the driving factor for you in your life, you are a Nicodemus. Thirdly, 
Nicodemus was a religious man. That's what the Bible says. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He was morally pure to a degree that you and I cannot imagine that. He paid all his tithes. He did everything the law said to do. He kept the written law, the traditions of the elders. He never touched a woman. He probably avoided looking at them even. He would not come in contact with the sinners. He was a holy man. Still, what we do does not change what we are. In spite of the outward attempts at righteousness, as Nicodemus walked in, such a religious man, Jesus saw his heart. Isn't it scary, church? We are walking into the church. We are standing in the presence of God. We think that we are righteous, doing everything right. But Jesus sees our heart. That's what you are seeing here in this story. Let us move on to verse number two. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, this, I beg your pardon, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So John reports that Nicodemus came by night. I'm sure that you have, you have done your own studies and, and there might be different speculations as to why Nicodemus came at night. Perhaps he was afraid of the other members of the Sanhedrin. What would they think if I go and see Jesus? Or he did not want to imply that he has the approval of Sanhedrin when he came. I'm representing the Sanhedrin. Or maybe that nighttime is a good time because Jesus would have some spare time, I have some spare time, so we can spend more time talking about these things. Nicodemus seemed to have been impressed by Jesus. That's what you are seeing here, because in this verse that you see when he came to the Lord, how does he address him? Rabbi. He calls him Rabbi. Imagine this, church. For a leader of the Sanhedrin, to come to the quarters of an uneducated Galilean carpenter and to call him rabbi. And to call him rabbi. Acting like that he had come from God was not a small matter. And he says, we know that you are a teacher from God. That's what he says. We know you are a teacher from God. Perhaps Nicodemus is using the term we to hide behind so that, you know, I'm not isolated and I'm, it's not my statement. And Nicodemus, like others, accepted that Jesus came from God. He comes from God as a teacher. So like the people in chapter 2, Nicodemus was impressed and believed that the undeniable power manifested in Jesus' miracles was divine. So he was aware of John the Baptist's testimony about Christ, and now he wonders if Jesus, this Jesus, was the Messiah. For a moment, church, I want you to picture this. Picture ourselves to be having this conversation with Nicodemus. Now, I am the pastor of this church, and somebody walks in, and, and they're asking this question, and I'm seeing a high-powered guy who had come to the church. What will be my motivation? If only I can keep him in the church, 
I can influence all the Sanhedrins. So let me be nice to him when I talk to him. Let me not offend him. Let me not hurt him. Let me go along with him. That is the human tendency. He is a key disciple and, and, and think of his influence and, and how his testimony would impact and impress the other religious leaders. Let me be careful how I respond to him. But when you read the passage, Jesus showed no excitement, no difference, and no eager politeness. Now, there was not even any attempt of persuasiveness or accommodation because Jesus was no respecter of persons. That's who our Jesus is. Because he knew the heart of this man, Nicodemus. Jesus was not interested in discussing his signs that he was talking about, which, were, which really resulted in a supernatural faith. But he cut to the quick by telling Nicodemus, he went straight to the real issue, that the transformation of Nicodemus' heart by new birth only. And this is what Jesus says in verse number 3, or John 3, 3. He says, to be reconciled to God, you must be reborn from above. Just follow along carefully, church. John chapter 3, 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born... Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is, you know, I am an NKJV guy, so this is the NKJV version. But look at the ESV version here. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church, not this. Jesus answered Nicodemus. But did you notice Nicodemus never asked a question? He never asked a question, but the Bible says, or John writes, Jesus answered. Because Jesus answered not his words, but his thoughts. Because he knew what's in a man. Jesus knew what was in this man named Nicodemus' heart and he answered him accordingly. And three times he said, truly, truly, I say to you. Church, this the, it transliterates the Aramic amen, which, which came from a verb to meaning to confirm. That's what it means. To confirm, to affirm. Truly, truly. It added significance to what Jesus is saying. The, the point that Jesus wanted to hammer home to Nicodemus is that you don't need further instruction in religion. You need to be born again. Forget about the signs that you saw. You need to be born again. You need to see yourself as a sinner who needs more than moral, religious, or improvement. You need nothing less than new life from God. That's what Jesus was telling. And one commentator puts it this way. In one sentence, he sweeps away all that Nicodemus stood for and demands that he be remade by the power of God. Born again. Born from above. You know, the idea that just as we were born physically, so we need to be born spiritually. Such a birth requires the power of God. That's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. 
So Nicodemus, as a Jew and a Pharisee, would have been proud of the fact that he was not a Gentile, but had been born as a Jew. But Jesus shows him here, being a Jew, even a religious Jew, is not enough. He needed new birth as a spiritual child of God. And we saw that John gave that illustration in chapter 1. Look at this verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To be born again. Children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Church, what do you take from this? Not everyone is a child of God. Please do not go on the streets or to any gathering and say we are all children of God. That's a lie. Not everyone is a child of God. Only those who have believed, received Jesus, and believed his, in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. It is a right that was given by God to those who received him and believed in his name. Now you can say that only a child of God can enter the house of God. Make sense? Only my children can come into my house and call it their home. As much as I love Tiara and Tersha, they can't come into my house and say it's their home. It's not their home. But my children can walk in. And they can say it's my home. Only a child of God can go into the house of God. So you need to be born again. So Jesus says in verse chapter 3, 3, we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. It's a major theme in the Synoptic Gospels. I know that we have studied that. Nicodemus claims to see something of Jesus when he saw the signs. But Jesus insists no one can see the saving reign of God unless being born again. To see the kingdom, in verse 3, and basically equal to entering the kingdom of God. Church, I want you to note, in verse 3, it says to see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, Jesus says to enter the kingdom of God. Now, see simply implies spiritual perception. Look at this verse from Paul writing to the saints in Corinth. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You go to a pagan and you talk about being born again, for them is foolishness. They cannot understand that. They cannot see it. The implications of Jesus' words for Nicodemus were staggering because all his life, from the time he was born, Nicodemus had diligently observed the law and the rituals of Judaism. Nicodemus joined the ultra-religious Pharisees and even became a member of the Sanhedrin. We looked at that earlier. And, and now Jesus called him to forsake all that. Everything that you knew from the day you were born, whatever your parents taught you, whatever that you learned in the, in the, in the synagogues, forsake all that. 
to abandon the entire system of works righteousness in which he played, placed the, his hopes to realize that human effort will not save. Church, let me pause here for a moment. This is why it is hard to talk to nominal Christians. Because they are grown up with certain rituals. It will be very hard for any of you to talk to the nominal Christians who have grown up in religious tradition and trust me, I was one of them. I grew up in a Methodist church. I'm not putting down Methodist church. Please don't get me wrong. But I grew up in religious traditions. When the first time I heard about the term born again, I ridiculed the person who came and spoke to me. Until the Lord met me on my road to Damascus. The Lord has to meet us. And there must be a Damascus Road experience for every one of you if you want to see the kingdom of God. If you want to have that experience. So church, for our loved ones, there is no, no point of you going and, 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 and shoving the gospel into their mouths, into their hearts, into their heads. We need to pray, God, open their hearts. God, open their hearts. Let's move on. Verse number four. Now, we see the, in, in Nicodemus, in verse number four, he was amazed at Jesus' radical statement that he needed to be born again. Look at what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? If I was there, I would have slept this Nicodemus. What nonsense? You're a grown-up man. Come on. I know it's difficult for us to understand what Nicodemus meant by this question because he was being so educated. Nicodemus did not believe that Jesus was suggesting that a person should go back into the belly of mother's womb and to come back again. I don't think Nicodemus took it that way. Uh, D.A. Carson puts it beautifully in his commentary. This is what he says. Uh, that Nicodemus' response reflects disbelief. That's what it is. Which prompted him to answer with the ridiculously literalistic interpretation of what Jesus said to express a degree of contempt. That's how he writes this. So in other words... Nicodemus is like, Jesus, what are you talking about? It's ridiculous what you're telling me. Let me go on to verse number five now. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you see this word enter here? Enter the kingdom of God. So in essence, Jesus is saying spiritual rebirth requires cleansing from sin and new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The phrase born of water and the Spirit has been subject to numerous interpretations. What do we understand by the term born of water and Spirit? Church, listen. 
Since Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand the truth, I want you to come along with me carefully, it must have been something with which Nicodemus was familiar, isn't it? When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this must be something that Nicodemus should be able to grasp. Now some look at this passage and they're talking about the water baptism. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But water and spirit often refer symbolically in the Old Testament to spiritual renewal or spiritual cleansing. So when Jesus spoke, he actually spoke of this through the, the Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 to 27, the restoration of Israel is mentioned this way. Look at this. I know it's too small, but let me read this to you. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle, what? Clean water on you, and you shall be clean. It's not giving a bath, okay? That's not what he's talking about. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So this passage speaks of the regeneration and Nicodemus being a scholar was quite familiar with this passage. It shows the regeneration to be the Old Testament truth with which Nicodemus would have been acquainted. So against this Old Testament backdrop, Christ's point was unmistakable. So without the spiritual washing of the soul, a cleansing accomplished only by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, no one can enter the kingdom of God. So this prophecy we are looking at here was fulfilled in Jesus when he sanctioned the new covenant with his blood and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in all that we believe in him. That is what we have as children of God. So Nicodemus, who knew the Old Testament, should have connected Ezekiel's prophecy with Jesus' word. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's move on to verse number six now. That which was born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that there is a fundamental divide between the physical and the spiritual. That's what he's saying. There's a difference. Just as only human nature can bring about human nature, only the Holy Spirit can effect spiritual transformation. So being born physically as a Jew, or in our terms, being born into a Christian family is not enough. There must be a second birth that cleanses from sin and creates new life, the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus' words were based on Old Testament revelation, they ran completely contrary to everything Nicodemus had been taught. Like many of us in our past believed, Nicodemus for his entire life had believed that salvation comes through his own external merit. 
So when Jesus spoke like this, it shattered once and for all every supposed excellence that Nicodemus' religious devotion and behavior. You know, imagine, church, I come and tell you that you have grown up as a good Christian, as a good Catholic, as a good person, and I come and tell you all this, and all your religious behavior, your all moral behavior, all religious achievements, all ceremony, all rituals, all devotions, all morality adds up to absolute zero. That's what I'm telling you. Everything you're talking about, it means nothing. In fact, it's worse than zero, because that's what Paul said when he wrote to the saints in Philippi. Paul says, I counted all this gain, and then I saw Christ, and I realized that it was all dung. It's manual, he says. Everything that I have accomplished, achieved in life. This is news to him, and Nicodemus was dumbfounded. Being aware of his astonishment, Jesus goes on in verse number 7. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus makes it unequally clear that he must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He's very clear. He does not want to win the heart of Nicodemus, but he wants to make the point very clear so Nicodemus understands. Now Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus how the effect of such transformation be seen in individual. What does this mean to somebody? Look at verse number 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So John, Jesus tells Nicodemus that just as the wind can be felt, the effects of a person who is born again can be felt. Even though the conversion remains mystery, it can be seen in the, in, in the, in, in the way the person behaves. So you cannot see God do His work in the heart of this altar, but you can certainly see the effects of the, of the wind of spirit in our lives. I know we may not sometimes see somebody growing up. You know, I have my little grandson. Sometimes I don't see him physically growing up because I don't measure it, because I see him every day. But I know he's growing up because of his behavior. Changes from day to day. So when a person is born again in spirit, he or she is born into the family of God like newborn babes. The birth is not visible, but it begins to produce changes that are evident. There are a few evidence that I want to present to you, and I want you to examine yourself whether that fits to you. Because those of you who claim to be born again, firstly, the fruit of the spirit must be seen in you. If you are truly being born again. Someone who has experienced the new birth will begin to exhibit the character qualities that are more like Jesus. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. Just because you are born again, that doesn't happen overnight, but it's it going to happen over a period of time. So the fruit tree grows and begins to produce fruit in season. We begin to produce godly character traits such as the love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
Can anyone else notice that in you? If so, you are exhibiting the effects of being born again. Secondly, if you are truly born again, you make godly choices. Godly choices in everything in life. Sin that has once captivated begin to fall away as we grow closer to Jesus. Our new birth broke the power that sin had over us and enables us to live in freedom. What are the choices that you are making today? That will tell you whether you are truly born again or not. Thirdly, if you are truly born again, you will have love for other Christians. You will love them unconditionally. You will never speak evil of them. You will never speak ill of them. You will never gossip about anybody. It doesn't matter who says what to you. It will be demonstrated by your love. By your love. They will know we are Christian by our love. By our love. Do you have anything against anyone? that you are unable to forgive, then you should go back and question, am I truly born again? Am I truly born again? Fourthly, and, and I'm sorry, I, wanted to, I want to mention this to you, church, because when God created us as a family, he did not create a team like you find in, the, in, in North America where you can trade people. It's a family that God created. And God did not create a corporation where we can hire and fire people. God created a family where every member is valued and equally loved, no matter whether they are rich or poor, whether they are high in status or not. That is a demonstration of true born-again character. If anyone in this church feel unloved, Anyone, we are all responsible, church. Every one of you should take responsibility for that. If somebody walks into this church and feels unloved, all of us who call ourselves as believers are to be blamed. Fourthly, if you are truly born again, you are gifted with spiritual gifts. And you are called to serve the Lord. I know that you received an email from me that we are encouraging you to serve in the fellowship ministry. Do it joyfully. Do it joyfully. That is what God has called us to do. Are you serving the Lord? Now when you see a drunkard leave his bottle, you know that God has been working in him. When you hear the clean language coming from a mouth that used to be a sewer, you know God has been at work. When you see a wild woman become a clean woman, you know God has passed by. When you see a wicked, hateful man turn into a sweet, loving, holy saint, you know the wind of the Spirit has been blowing in his soul. When you see someone spending more time in the Word, desiring the things of God, you know God has been working in them. When you see active participation in the church, you don't have to go and force people to do it. They voluntarily want to do it. 
you know that God has been at work in their lives. When you, when you, when you see someone actively engaging in prayer ministry, you know God has passed by them. When you see God is kept first in their lives, you know the wind of the Spirit has been blowing in their lives. It's a mystery because we do not see it happen but see the effects. As we read the last two verses, we see though Nicodemus was a renowned teacher, he did not grasp the truth, sadly. Look at verse number 9 and 10. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Think about this church. Nicodemus himself had for years taught others the conditions of entrance to the kingdom of God. Conditions cast in terms of obedience to God's command. But here he is facing a condition he has never heard expressed. The absolute requirement of birth from above. So Nicodemus is frankly skeptical if such a birth can take place. Why do I say this? Because you can clearly see that Jesus responds to Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? In essence, Jesus is saying, you Nicodemus, in your role as the teacher of Israel, a scholar of the Old Testament, you should have grasped this truth. Jesus found it inexcusable that this scholar was not familiar with the foundational new covenant teaching from Old Testament regarding the only way of salvation. Hear me, church. Sadly, Nicodemus serves as a clear example of the numbing effect that external legalistic religion has on a person's spiritual perception. Although nothing in this passage suggests that Nicodemus was converted, and I believe, I'm only believing, that he eventually came to the relationship with the Lord. Why do I say that? As we read through the book of Gospel of John, later on we see that Nicodemus bodily defended Jesus before Sanhedrin, John chapter 7. And John chapter 19, we see that Nicodemus helped Arimathea prepare Jesus' body for burial. Eventually, Nicodemus came to understand sovereign grace and experience the reality of new birth. So as I close today's message, we are clear that we all need to be born again. But it's easy for us to say that we are born again. It's easy for us to pretend that we are born again. I'm not saying we are doing it, but I'm just saying it's easy for us to do that. I want us to look at John chapter 2, verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Before Nicodemus ever came to Jesus, Jesus knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus. Jesus knew what he needed when he came that night. Jesus cut through all the religious nonsense and all the foolishness, and Jesus told Nicodemus exactly what he needed to hear. He told him how to be saved. Did you notice, church, that in verse 24, 
He knew all men. Jesus knew. He knows every one of us. He knows you too. He knows whether you are truly saved or not. He knows whether or not you have been born again. He knows all there is about you. And he also knows that he loves you. He also knows that if you will come to him, he will save you by his grace. So I want to address this to the two group of people, maybe here, maybe watching online. A group that says that they are born again. Are you exhibiting those effects of the Holy Spirit in your daily walk? You may be a safe person, but the lamb that once burned bright, is it burning today? Or is it dim now? He knows that if you'll come to him like you are, you can leave this building like you ought to be. If you are not saved today, let me invite you to come to Jesus for salvation right now. I want to close with the story, a true story. There was, years ago, there was a Bishop John Taylor Smith, a former chaplain, general of the British Army. He was preparing, he was preaching in a large cathedral on the text, you must be born again. He said, my dear people, do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a member of a church, but church membership is not new birth. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The rector was sitting on his left, pointing to him. He said, you may be a clergyman like my friend, the rector here, and not be born again. And, and except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. On his right sat the archdeacon. He pointing at him, he continued, you might even be an archdeacon like my friend here, still not be born again, but except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he said, you might even be a bishop like myself and not be born again, but except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now hear me out. Several days later, he received a letter from the archdeacon which read in part this way. My dear bishop, you have found me out. I have been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I have never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. I never could understand it. But when you pointed at me and said that a person could be an archdeacon and not be born again, I understood what the trouble was. Would you please come and talk with me? Of course, the story says that Bishop Smith did talk with him and the, and the deacon responded to Christ's call to salvation. What about you, church? I'm going to ask all of you to rise, please. You may be religious, but religion can't save you. You must be born again. Don't settle for anything less. Cry out to God that he would cause you to be born again. So to those who have been born again, I want us to make a commitment today. Rededicate ourselves to the Lord. It's a new beginning. It's March. It's springtime. Let us say, God, here we are. Here we are, God, with all our faults, with all our flaws. Yes, I'm born again, but I don't exhibit those characteristics in my life. I have failed you many times. Because once you are born, you are born again. Once you are saved, you are saved for life. 
You don't need to worry about whether you're entering the kingdom of God or not, but are you honoring God and glorifying God? I just want all of you, those who call yourselves born again, to recommit yourself. And we're going to sing a beautiful song that we sang earlier. And as I finish that song, I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer. But if anyone here who has not committed your life to the Lord, you have not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, church, see what's happening in Ukraine. People who cannot, who get up in the morning, they don't see the day. The life is snatched out, just with one bombshell. We are so privileged to be in a country where we can truly enjoy this freedom. But that doesn't mean that our lives are here forever. If you are not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day. May today be the day. Come to Him just as you are. With open arms, He is ready to accept you. With an open arms, He is ready to give you that sonship. May today be the day for us. So those of you who want to let us sing this chorus, these two stanzas that I put out there, beautiful stanza. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier. Now to be thine, yes, thine alone. O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, without one plea, but that my blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Shall we sing this together? Just as I am thy love unknown has broken every barrier down now to If you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you have never done it, I would appeal to you to come. The elders would like to meet with you. If you want to rededicate yourself, let us go into a time of prayer. And I'm just going to pray that God will allow us to exhibit the true characteristics of a born-again believer. Brother Bruno, can you pray with us?
Let us pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, what a day this is. As we see this man called Nicodemus walking to you, and that Father, the scripture is very clear, as he walked to you with all the righteousness that he possessed in this world, you saw his heart. And likewise, we can see that you can see our hearts, O God. And we come just as we are. Father, not hiding anything because we know we cannot hide anything from you. You are an omniscient God. You know us by name. And I plead with you in the name of Jesus that as we cry out to you that you will stretch your wounded hands right now. You will touch us from the crown of the head to the soles of the feet of God and remove anything and everything that is not pleasing in your sight, Master. So let us shine for you, Father. May the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit be exhibited in our lives. Let the others see us. May the fragrance of Jesus emit from us, O God. Help us to love each other unconditionally. Help us to serve you unconditionally. Help us to be there for, for you, Father. May I set our priorities right, Father, so that you will be the center of our lives, O God. It's not the money, it's not the status, it's not the religiosity, but it's you and you alone. Help us, Father. We are helpless, O God. We need the Spirit of the Lord in our lives to continue to work in us, O God. And give us the ability to listen to the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit. And to respond to that. Not to resist, but to respond. So we commit every one of us into your care and keeping. Father, now I pray for those who have not committed their lives to you. Father, those who are watching online, those who are here, I plead with you in the name of Jesus. This life is uncertain, O God. I pray that they will make that effort to reach out to you. And they will accept you because you are very clear. Unless you are born again, you shall not see or enter the kingdom of God. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray.